This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Hello, museum people listeners. Hey, Marika. Hey, Dan. <laughs> Here we are. It's a brand new America. What have you been doing for the past week? Wow. Big week in Lake Wobegon. One week ago today at the time of this taping was the inauguration, and a little less than a week was the unprecedented resistance uh, marches all around the world. Unbelievable. You know, it's funny when people were um, experienced telling me stories about the march um i was out of the country um did you march dan no i didn't i was painting okay no comment but i was with i was you you were with (laughs) everybody millions of women in spirit um when i talk to people about the march um they describe how great it was to be there with other people who felt the same way as them how they felt empowered um how was an antidote to what they were feeling um, on the previous day, um, and the crowds were hard. A lot of people told me that the crowds were hard, mm. peaceful, but still scary. But th- what they really talked about was the signs and the creative expression mm. of the women. And, um, uh, and of course, my first reaction coming from as a collections person in the past was, ah, how are we collecting all of this? And so I, right. I knew some of our friends ahead of time had also foreseen this and, and communicated they would be collecting items um, but it's just, it's so clear to me that, like, we museums are, could make, these are the moments where um, our relevancy and what we do, like, they intersect in the right way. And often yeah. as museums, we don't get that. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate, and we need to do better about that. But this was the moment um, that we could really say, we're, you, you think you weren't, you don't make a difference, you can make a difference, just literally drop off your sign. Um, yeah. Right. So collecting the paraphernalia from the women's marches, what's happening in Cambridge? So my friend Emily is, uh, she's the archivist for the Cambridge Historical Commission, and she um, served as a place where you could drop off your materials. And uh, so I talked to her about it, and here's what she had to say. I'm joined today by Emily Gonzalez, archivist for the Cambridge Historical Commission. Hey, Emily. Hello, Marika. So we're here today because I want to hear about your experience collecting material culture from the recent Women's March. Tell me what you knew about the march ahead of time and what prompted you to want to collect something from it. Well, I'm on a women's archivists section listserv um, as part of SAA, Society of American Archivists. And on the listserv, there were a bunch of emails going around asking, you know, how can we get involved collecting things from the march and documenting it since this seemed very historic. And marches were happening all over all over the country. I've seen just a, a ton of stuff going out about, you know, documenting marches and other forms of protest and resistance. Um, that's always been a big part of being an archivist, but I think even like more now than ever, kind of just trying to you know, grab a snapshot of, of history while it's happening. So you saw this go out on the listserv, then what did you do? You got in touch with someone? Yeah, so there were some um, central organizers, and they actually created 
uh, a women's march on Washington archives project. So like a larger umbrella group. Um, aside from that, I separately just reached out to the Boston Women's March organizers. I just sent them an email from their website and was like, hey, I'm an archivist. I'm on this listserv. We're collecting stuff. How can I do it with you? And then someone from the organization reached out to me. And um, we just went from there. And she was like, you know, we'd love to have you document this. Um, We'll get you down as like a volunteer. And, um, you know, we'll figure it out from there. It was pretty messy trying to figure out, okay, how are we actually going to officially document this? You know, are we just going to collect stuff by hand at the march? Are we official volunteers? Do we have any like designation? Um, There were two other archivists who I was in touch with. And we all kind of worked together to figure out, you know, how are we going to do this and what do we want to collect? And so once we had all touched base, um, we all put out a call on our Facebook and email and through our own institutions to let people know that we were going to be collecting at the march. So don't just throw away your stuff. Um, Come find us or, like, contact us directly. It happened very quickly, but we felt like, okay, it'll come together somehow, the day of the march at least. We can go around and like individually tell people and we can have signs and let people know that we're there to take their stuff and, and preserve it. So what happened day of? Um, so day of was pretty crazy. So myself and Brooke McManus, who was doing the oral histories for the march, She and I um, ended up basically just going around before and during and then after the march and just going up to people. Um, We just asked people, you know, hey, when you're done with the march, consider donating your stuff. So um, we had a couple drop off places and just let people know, hey, we're not going to take this and like stow it away in our basements or something. We're actually going to put it in a real archive with real archivists and curators and, you know, your stuff might someday be digitized and online and available for the future. It was way more chaotic than I ever could have imagined in a good way. It was beautiful. There were so many people, so many fabulous signs. By the end of the day, I was like running up to people and just stopping them and asking them, can I have your sign? It's really awesome. I just, I want that. And some people said no, because they were like, you know, I worked really hard on this. I want to put it on my office door. Some people had things sewn onto their shirts Um, So they couldn't take them off right away, but I gave them my contact info, let them know where the drop-off places were. And then there was the other side of it where um, me and Brooke just kind of sat or we stood on the sidelines during and after the march and held up a sign that said, hey, we're archivists, we're collecting your stuff, you know, drop it off here or talk to us. And people just came and just dropped off tons of signs as they were walking away. In retrospect, I think it would have been better to have a designated spot. But we also definitely would have needed vans and other, you know, forms of transportation to take all this stuff back. Because at the end of the day, I had my arms full of signs and I had to get home and drop them off. So I ended up taking a lift and I ran across the street and the signs flew out of my hands and there was a bus coming. So I had to stop in the middle of the street and pick up all these women's march signs and I was freaking out. But I got in the lift and I took them home. So they're safe. Did you have to get approval from uh, the commission in your office here before you sort of publicly said we're going to collect about this very specific thing that is political? Yeah, um, but it was very easy. Um, I asked my boss, Charlie Sullivan, what he thought about it. You know, if if I posted and opened this place up for um, signs and materials, um, 
And he said, absolutely. You know, that's this is totally what we do. And, you know, we are part of the city. And a lot of our collections point to certain, you know, points of activism and, and parts in history similar to this, you know. Um, so this is something that I think we all thought was really important. Thanks for joining me, Emily. This is really interesting. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. You know, Marika, this really strikes me as something that's vitally important to the museum field, though, because I'm constantly wondering how museums can perhaps offer some kind of um, antidote to what is now being called euphemistically alternative facts. And maybe it's just this. Maybe it is just simply collecting the objects that are very, very mundane, but they are part of the historical record. These signs, these mm-hmm. pink pussycat hats, mm-hmm. uh, the whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> it's not really pussycat, right? No, I think that's inaccurate. <laughs> right, whatever. Um, right. But, you know, the idea of, of collecting these material objects serving as at least some authentic anchor to reality so that when you hear from uh, politicians that, no, 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 that didn't happen, or just the opposite happened. At least we can provide some kind of reference and anchor that, yes, it did happen. Absolutely. And it happened in these quantities. And we can sort of communally, in our communities, and and then by extension nationwide, worldwide, actually have some impact on this crisis of what is truth. Yeah, exactly. Social media, the internet now gives us the opportunity to have our voices known in a better way. But the things... Yeah. The, the the things that people hold and people touch, that energy is there, and that's why material culture... I mean, I don't know. I'm preaching the choir here. Um, no, but listen, I, I, I have to tell you, I have progressively over the last few weeks become more and more aware of this crisis that we've got of uh, of credibility in our whole society right now, and it's just becoming much more manifest um, down is up, up is down in so many ways. You've adopted and my saying. Is it you say that? <laughs> I thought it was Proust that said that. I don't know. <laughs> You're taking credit for it. Whatever. Um, Check the facts or facts. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> See, I can't even trust you, credibility and truth. But it, I, I really do think that the day is coming when museums really do need to stand up and be counted. We have a role to play with trying to anchor people in what is real. When I hear words like alternative facts, and it's it just, I, I, I cannot even comprehend how unsettling that is. We're going to be the ones that folks can turn to and say, ah, yes, this is in fact what happened and not what the spin is. I 100% agree with all that, Dan. I'm glad that you wow, are. What a soapbox. You are brushing up on your advocacy day yeah, speech. I'm, I'm old, but. Right. Museums have a role to play. and uh, <laughs> Well, I think that our interview today with Stephen Rothstein of the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum is very uh, apt and timely in some senses because uh, in the interview, as we'll hear, he um, harks back to a lot of what JFK represented, and the era is uh, completely different. That That's that sense of um, responsibility for um, the social good ha- is, has been twisted around that you don't that it's all about the individual it's not about the collective good yeah
My name is Stephen Rothstein. I'm the executive director of the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation. What motivates me to come to work is President Kennedy's legacy and sharing it with the next generation. Mm. That he taught so many of us, I was alive during the administration, young kid, and was really moved and motivated by what he did and believe that my hope is that young people today continue to have that motivation. How long have you been here now? Just a few months. I right, started right. Uh, uh, four or five months. So the honeymoon is still going, right? It's still, yes, yes. Great, great team, great people. Yeah. Any surprises? Uh, you know, once you got in here and saw under the hood and whatever? Uh... Well, there's lots to learn. I mean, so this has obviously all having an operating museum, then also the archives for the presidential papers, yeah. the educational programs that we run for students, for the public policy programs, and other things. So each one, there are lots of things I didn't know about. Mm. You know, how do you do rotating exhibits? How do you digitize and do meta-tagging for archival documents and things like that? Yeah. So that I'm learning new things every day, uh, which is, and I'm so impressed with the quality of the people. What's your background and uh, the path that's brought you here? So I was uh, born and brought up in the New England area, and I've spent really my lifetime mostly in running nonprofits. Um, after college, I went to Williams College. I co-founded Citizens Energy Corporation with Joe Kennedy, so the father mm. of the current congressman. It's a nonprofit energy company. Spent years doing that, and then did a variety of other things, including I ran Perkins School for the Blind, which actually has a historical museum about Helen Keller. Mm. And we grew both a physical museum and an online museum, so I got a little experience in that side as well as the archives mm. um, ran I uh, taught for a while and a variety of other things but mostly in government and in nonprofit right. management how has that experience informed what you're doing now oh it, it's such a uh, so relevant and so important I mean first is reaching out to the public marketing is a big component of you know how many people come to the museum use the archives so I've had a lot of experience in that area working in nonprofits there is like every museum executive director knows a lot of fundraising and reaching out in different constituencies and again for us 80% of the people alive today were born after the Kennedy administration right, yeah. so that's a unique opportunity and a unique challenge <laughs> yeah. uh, I, my goal is that John F. Kennedy is not just an interesting historian figure, but actually relevant to your life today. Yeah. I want, when someone thinks about service, think about volunteerism, thinks about big, innovative ideas, um, we talk about big ideas as a moonshot. Well, literally, John Kennedy brought us the first moonshot. Mm -hmm. So the experience of running organizations, hiring, managing people, fundraising, marketing, reaching out, are all relevant to what I'm doing every yeah. day. Well, it's a highly complex organization in many ways, and I think that a lot of folks don't know that in terms of just its, its part governmental agency. You all are the foundation, which is a private nonprofit, which supports the work here. Talk a little bit about how these two worlds come together. No, it's a great question. So every president... Uh, after, so far it's been him, at Lee's office, his papers and artifacts go to the federal government, the National Archives. So there are 13 presidential libraries, and those are all federal government institutions. Um, and the federal government supports them, but they only have so much resources. So, for example, the Kennedy Library was the first one through its philanthropic arm to support education initiatives. The idea of having all these historical documents and, and not teaching kids sounds kind of mm. uh, 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 surprising, but back then it wasn't the case. So now, the, now we're taking the lead on digitization of documents, too. So it's very much of a partnership yeah. that our, our goal is to support 
the National Archives Library. They own the papers, but it's supporting their existing initiatives and helping to grow them, educational initiatives, archives. And then we have a lot of community outreach. We have award programs like the Profile and Courage Award, uh, honoring the book that President Kennedy wrote and annually giving one or more awards to folks. We just had something called the New Frontier Awards. Hmm. So there are programs as well that, that the foundation runs. And the forums? The forums are the so for- well attended. The forums are, are absolutely, yeah. We have, in 2017, we'll probably have around 20-ish public hmm. policy forums. We recently had John Dickerson from CBS News. We had Mark Shriver come and talk about a book he wrote with the Pope. We're having lots of great ones early in next year. So we're very excited about um, those. And, you know, trying to stimulate the public debate, not taking a position on issue, but having people is fantastic. Yeah, I've often uh, talked to museums uh, and mentioned your forum program as, to me, one of the most uh, seminal ways that a museum can stay relevant in its community. Uh, you know, you've got the wherewithal to bring together these really interesting discussions with, of course, really big names sometimes, uh, you know, that, uh, that really helps the profile, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And, and there are very big names. We've had presidents and prime ministers and senators, but we also cover local issues um, as well, you know, and have debates or forums and things like that. You know, Every, during the election season that we recently had, you know, during the presidential debates, people went and watched our debates online, things like that. But in the off years, there isn't that consistent level of interest. So having the forums engages people, you know, irrespective of whatever you think about politics, knowing about the issues and being involved is critical, irrespective of any side. The more you understand, it's going to lead to a healthier democracy. So having people talking about, you know, the role of journalism, as we just did, or the role of political parties and electoral college and what will the future of health care be, and the list goes on and on and on. And then we also do arts forum because Mrs. Kennedy and President Kennedy cared a lot about the arts. And during the White House, they brought artists to the White House. So we have... Uh, work with the Hemingway family, Penn Hemingway, New England, and then we have other artists coming as well. And again, all of it is engaging the public dialogue. It also brings different people to the museum, and that's all great, too. Yeah. Why Hemingway? So um, Ernest Hemingway and the Kennedy family became friends. His wife donated essentially 90% of the papers and artifacts here. So we have a, a special room that's open all the time for visitors. We have a full-time Hemingway scholar as well. But we do a lot of educational programs on Ernest Hemingway, and it really it was important to Mrs. Kennedy personally, and it's symbolic and emblematic of her desire to focus on arts and to make it more than just... It's not just a museum about the past. It's very much current. Why do you think that President Kennedy... Uh, is still as, let's just call it popular, in the American mindset? Um, I think what President Kennedy did is a number of things. First, it was a different time. When he was in office, 75% of the people trusted government, according to National Pew Study hmm. Research, 75%. Wow. back in the day. <laughs> a year ago, before this recent election, it was at 19%. So fundamentally, if, you trust, if three-quarters trusted government, then you're willing to work together on things. If you don't, you're not willing to work together. So when he says, ask not what your country can do for you, people signed up for activities, whether it be local or the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps, just as one example, hmm. since he started it, 225,000 people have been to another country, impacted that village or city or country, but then it's also impacted their life. And I know many people 
That also led to the beginning of AmeriCorps and things like that. So his vision of service is transcendent of time. His vision of creative, innovative approaches like the moonshot. The idea of inclusion, he was clearly a leader in civil rights, and that's still an issue obviously we're facing today. And some would argue we've made a lot of progress. Some would say we wouldn't have made a lot of progress. Um, um, we just recently in, in um, October, during National Voter Registration Day, we sent out through social media a letter that President Kennedy got in 1962 from an African-American gentleman about registering to vote and some of the challenges that he faced. And just sending it out without comment, you know, it just generated enormous interest about some people saying we've made a lot of progress, some people say we haven't. Um, but he also was for inclusion of women in policymakers, people with intellectual disabilities. So he really, and there are a lot of things that we take for granted today. You know, we see discussions in the Situation Room. Well, he created that. There hadn't been the Navy SEALs. So there's lots of things, it, for those of us in New England who love Cape Cod, the National Seashore was part of his, his legacy. So there's a lot of things that he did, but almost more than individual, it's his vision and this engagement of collectively, by working together, we can do amazing things. It could be going to the moon, it could be, it could be going to another country in terms of the Peace Corps or other things. And I think people are searching for that again. Well, you know, given the tenor of where we are right now, what kinds of things are you doing here at the uh, John F. Kennedy Library? And what kind of things can museums be doing generally, do you think, to sort of reinvigorate that sense of public service, which is pretty much uh, almost a quaint issue any longer? Um, well, so I think there's one that we're doing and one that other people can do as well. So one that we're doing is highlighting some specific exhibits. So again, listen, encouraging people to watch the debates between Nixon and Kennedy. They disagreed very strongly, but they were not disagreeable. And, and listening to some of the other things that he talked about. So listening to his words, we have over 260 hours of his words, most of it's on the website now. So there's a lot we're trying to do to have that context. And next year, 2017, will be the centennial of President Kennedy's birth. So we have a whole lot of special activities, a lot at the museum, some online, some in Washington. So a lot that we're trying to do to stimulate the current debate with colleges and things. We're doing a Kennedy, college, a Kennedy 100 college symposium series um, at colleges to help young people think about, well, gee, the issues of Black Lives Matter, what's the roots of that? Or what are we talking about? equity of women or the space race or things like that. So that's things that we're doing. I think we can all, all museums, can think about how to engage folks in these public policy discussions hmm. um, in different kinds of areas um, and looking for ways to reach out, particularly to underserved communities that are often marginalized. You know, with school being a focus on the testing, school trips to museums have gone down, as we all know. And so we raise money specifically to help kids in urban areas um, get to the museum. And that's a focus that I think we need to do more and other places need to do more. One of the other things that I think there are some great examples of museums doing this, but I think we could all do more, including the Kennedy Library, is to partner with others. Um, and so we're in discussion with three different museums about doing some things together on uh, different kinds of projects. Do you and work I, with the EMK Institute? We, we work with, yeah, the Edward M. Kennedy Institute right next door to us. We work with them all the time. Um, and then across the parking lot is the Commonwealth Archives. So the archives from the state of Massachusetts and, and some things with them. Obviously UMass Boston, again, down across the parking lot. But it's some of the other museums too, both here in Boston and in Washington, we're going to do some things together mm. in the coming year. Because again, the centennial, 
uh, is really a unique opportunity to highlight this and thinking about some, some interesting ways. So I think the museums are evolving in their role um, and can play a critical role for young people. Yeah. Again, to bring po- folks together, to be a source of, of interesting discussions, debates, films. A lot of museums do a great job in this, but more need to. And to help reach out in particularly those underserved communities. What do you think President Kennedy would be saying today about uh, where we are as a society? Well, I, I, so it would be, in some respects, presumptuous of me to say what President <laughs> Kennedy would say. But what I can say Very diplomatic. is that um, President Kennedy was an incurable optimist. And he really believed in galvanizing people, bringing them together, and by doing that, great things can happen. Not by dividing people not by excluding people. And there are lots of examples in his own life, in his campaign, and his presidency of, of bringing people together, sometimes at great risk. You know, when he, you know he, he, during the campaign for president, he called Credit Star Scott King. Reverend King was in jail, and the rumor was the jail he was in, he might have been killed in that jail. So uh, President Kennedy worked to kind of raise awareness and, um, and that was a time where Southern governors, you know, he could have lost some states. So he took political risk to try to bring people together, and it worked out well. He got many African-American votes, but he didn't know that at the time. So he was very much, I, wouldn't, I would not presume to say what he would say now, but while he was there, he really, while he was in the administration, the idea of inclusion, of bringing people together, and being bold. The space, you know, if you look at what, we knew about technology when he announced at Rice University that we were going to go to the moon. And when he said that, he said, we're not going because it's easy. We're going because it's hard. Um, um, we knew in the first Freedom 7 capsule we have here at the museum, encourage folks to come and see, they had less technology in that than the iPhone that's in your pocket or the smartphone, whatever it is, and it, like orders of magnitude less. And so it was very courageous of him and the astronauts, and he had these big, bold ideas. So he really was for inclusion, really, I mean, courage, you know, I mean, he literally wrote the book, Profiles and Courage. So you think about service and courage and inclusion. Those were part of his themes that I think he, were important to his administration. Yeah, yeah. You must visit other presidential libraries. Have you made the big swing and seen what others look like and what they do? Um, so I've been to five. There are 13. I've been to five. Um, and I've just started here, so I'm, I'm going to get to all of them, but I haven't had a chance to do all of them yet. And, and the others I've been to are all great, um, and they're all very unique. Right. Um, George Bush 41, George Bush 43, Lyndon Johnson, Franklin Delano Roosevelt examples. I mean, the, the, the individuals that they're about are different. The times they were built were very different. Um, so the themes are very different. Um, and so, uh, but they're all part of American history. And I think they're, and we also work with them on some joint initiatives. We actually have a, a regular calls from time mm-hmm. to time. So, are there, th- are there any trends in that particular genre of museum that are happening, be it technology or just how uh, how they pre- how they present the uh, the president stories and that uh, type of thing? Um, so, I think there are a number of things that are interesting to look at. First is the idea of access, so digitization of documents. I mean, you know, we look at the president's. There's a museum, but then it's, it's the archives. And there are a lot. We have, this last year, 
a six, it means 6,000 people came to the archives to do research. Some came virtually online, some came in person, some came for 10 minutes, some came for literally hours or days or weeks. You mean there's something still to be written about President Kennedy? Well, that's Kennedy? what I'm saying. That 6,000 people uh, in 2016, you know, over 50 years later, um, and there's still and, and the demand is 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 voracious. Yeah. So we, absolutely, I think, and so people come to the museum, and, and hundreds of thousands of people come to the museum. So it's it's this idea, and then online, millions of people go to the website for all the things that we yeah. look at. So I think that people are some people are interested in an issue. What happened on civil rights back then? Or mm. some people are interested more in the person. You know, tell me about the new movie Jackie Kennedy's out, or something else on that piece of it. Or it, or they're interested in a very particular issue. Mm. Uh, 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 they're doing a study about intellectual disabilities and what was the history of what because President Kennedy was a real leader on that issue mm-hmm. so I think understanding we think of it as the museum is critical and very important that people come there but the archives are also very important and, and for us making that accessible when President Obama opens his library in a few years it'll all be digital because mm-hmm. it's a digital term, uh, age back in the early 60s it weren't, there wasn't such a thing many museums are engaged in the uh, process of reinterpretation. Uh, Sometimes we as museums have been accused of uh, basically being shrines to great white men and, uh, you know, laudatory and so forth. And a lot of them are taking uh, more pains to be more open and honest about how they're interpreting even the warts and all type of thing. Is that happening in the presidential library and museum community where there's less of a, you know, the laudatorious aspect and trying to get a little bit more of the person? Absolutely. I mean, I, and, and it's a um, interesting discussion debate. And there are some libraries, that libraries are in a different place in that spectrum. Some libraries um, where the president, the former president is still alive mm-hmm. or his family is still very involved, uh, that's, there, that's a important important influence in many ways a very very good influence but an important influence on that some that where it's further away there's a the time provides distance um and some i think um probably do a more balanced view on that than others i mean i know for us for example we've just recently shown we had not talked a lot about president kennedy's health and we now show a set of crutches Mm -hmm. that he used in the second world war when he you know broke his back during the war PT-109. That's the first time that that's been displayed in that sense. Interesting. Um, so we're trying to do that uh, more and, you know, trying to look at, look at those things and also being respectful to the family right, right. Uh, in those areas. Sure. Your experience at Perkins, uh, has that any uh, bearing on any plans here uh, to make the museum more accessible? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, so... The John F. Kennedy Library does a great job in accessibility, but there's more we need to do. Um, and so just in the fall, we hosted a group of other museums, as an example, we worked together, uh, on accessibility on UDL, Universal Design for Learning. And um, there is, so there's work of how we share from each other. We can learn from other museums. There are many other museums that also have great programs in this area. So, yes, yeah, as a tiny example, the back of my business cards. It's just going to say, yeah, I was going to um, say, right. It's just a small example, but as a way, you know, if you're blind and you get a business card, how do you reach out to somebody? Right. Mine has my email and my phone number on it in Braille. 
So last question, aside from JFK, who's your favorite president? Um, I think, well, so, so there have been several that have been amazing. I, mean, I, I am very much an Obama fan. Yeah. I think he has done so many things. I'll be fascinated to see how history will judge him. Um, but there are half a dozen others, including some of the early ones that were remarkable. Obviously, Franklin Delano Roosevelt shaped so much of our history in different ways. But uh, John Kennedy is still number one, two, and three. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for your interest. Don't be by the cleanup set. Mike, why do you think the Kennedys are so popular still? I think that there is a there is a celebrity around them. I mean, we just had another movie, Jackie, right? Come out? Yeah, sure. I, mean, I don't know. I never keeps, watched them. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie Portman. <laughs> but, I mean, it just keeps on going. Steven said that they have 6,000 researchers in their archives every year. What are these people writing about? What more can be said about JFK? There's always a new interpretation of yeah. something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this year, uh, they're celebrating the centennial of John F. Kennedy's birth and you know his administration was 55 years ago mm. and it just seems like a completely different era ask not what your country can do for you you know what so so naive i mean he was not perfect and i'll be the first to say i'm not a huge right. jfk fan like he had his faults um but to inspire the peace corps to inspire just generations of people to go out into the world and do good that is not happening. Well, I speculate often on the future of public service. Folks aren't running for local office anymore. Folks don't want to step up because it is an emotional and personal kind of a thing. No longer is politics uh, venerated or just seen as sort of your duty as a citizen to to step up and uh, and volunteer. You know, in this kind of a, an atmosphere, and, and also, you know, just how government is being criticized as being, what is it, the swamp? Who wants to yeah. put themselves through that? You know, so not. I think that, you know, that whole notion of President Kennedy's call to public service, call to thinking of a greater good, uh, boy, I don't know. You we went could, off on a ta- tangent there, Dan. You feel strongly about that. I do. I think. Marika, a lot of good, though, is going to come out of this. And I hope that this era is going to cause us to take stock and perhaps enter a new era of public service. I think it's a real thing, Dan. You know, I've noticed that uh, volunteerism is up. Yeah. We are getting, even as a historical organization, are getting more people calling us up and saying, I want to volunteer. How can I help? They want to do something that, that can use their skill set. But even it doesn't have to be taxing. They just want to do something. And I'd be curious if other people are experiencing this. I talked to someone in the social services sector, and they're just, you know, a women's shelter. It's like out of control. Um, The people want to help. But um, now I'm struggling to find ways to occupy all these people. It's like a, a weird blessing to have. But, you know, I did AmeriCorps, which was inspired by the Peace Corps. And I can't say enough about um, a year of service. No matter what I do in my life, I can say I spent a year trying to make the world a better place officially. Now I try to do it unofficially. You do it officially. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. That's all we got. That's it. 
Sorry for the rants, museum people, but you know we're on your side. Uh, you know, maybe we ought to be hearing favorite rants. Call in with your favorite rants. Tell us how you're coping. Really. I love a rant. So you guys know that if you have an iPhone, and presumably on any smartphone, you have a recording app. If you want to just give us a short little rant, anonymous, yeah. say your name, whatever, we're open to it. Send it to the Cambridge Historical Society. They're collecting <laughs> and archiving them. <laughs> Thanks, museum people. Keep up the good fight. We love you. Goodbye. Next time on Museum People. We're passing the environmental torch on to non-white populations, and we don't have a ton of diversity in our organizations. Marika, how many nights have you spent out under the stars? (laughs) Zero. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I grew up in the country, but it turns out I'm a city girl. Yeah. And I will never live anywhere where there isn't a sidewalk, is my rule. (laughs) Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening.